What's up, City Life? How's everybody doing? Awesome. I'm glad you're excited to be here tonight. I'm excited to be here tonight as well. Um, welcome. If you are visiting with us tonight, I am not Pastor Fred. My name is uh, Pastor David. I'm the student ministries pastor here at City Life Church. And yeah, you can give me snaps already. I love it. I love it. Um, so I do spoken word too. So that's like a call and response thing. Chris said it last week and I loved it. So definitely, if you like something that you hear tonight, just feel free to give me a little mm, give me a little snap, give me a little amen or whatever it is. That was impromptu, but Kenny, I appreciate that love right there. Our pastor is out of town. He's on vacation. And so uh, I'm covering for him tonight. Pa- uh, not pastor, but Chris House covered last week. And was it not a good word, church? It was an amazing word. And so I'm excited for all that God has for us tonight. I want to just jump straight in because we have a lot to cover tonight. And so if you have your Bible, you can go ahead and turn to Philemon, the book of Philemon, and the verse number six. And um, just to spare you any embarrassment, because the book of Philemon is like one page, and so it's very difficult to find. I look for the book of Hebrews, and there you are, or you can just do like what the youth do and, and scroll to it on your phone. But Philemon, verse 6, it says this, And I am praying that you will put into action the generosity that comes from your faith as you understand and experience all the good things we have in Christ. Let's read that again. And I am praying that you will put into action, say put into action, The generosity, say generosity, that comes from your faith. As you understand and experience all the good things, say good things, we have in Christ. Father God, thank you so much for all the good things we have in you, God. God, thank you for your presence that we got to experience tonight. And and I, I pray, God, that we would continue to just have a revelation of all the good things, God, that you have for us. God, the things that you've already given us and the things that you still have in store for us. God, we thank you for those things. I pray that as you give us that revelation, Lord God, that you also stir us to generosity. And Lord, that you give us the boldness to put that generosity into action. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, uh, Tonight, if you're taking notes, the title of my sermon is Christian Privilege. Christian Privilege. Why y'all laughing? (laughs) Christian Privilege. So before I get into Christian Privilege, I want to talk about some other kinds of privileges, just as kind of like a baseline tonight. I'm going to read a few statements off and then uh, then, give you some, some statistics to go with it. So a couple statements. One, if you are white and living in America... You are privileged. If you are a man and living in America, you are privileged. If you are American, you are privileged. There was a lot of grunts and moans. So in case maybe, you know, that information is new to you or maybe that's something that you're wrestling with. You've been hearing people talk about uh, saying these things and you're trying to figure out why. I've, I've got some uh, things to help us understand. So first, just tackling white privilege. I, I took this from an article. Um, there's a hyperlink that will be on the notes online. 
But it says this about white privilege. Imagine the entire history of the United States as a 500-year-old relay race, where whites began running as soon as the gun sounded, but blacks had to stay in the starting blocks until they were allowed to run. If the finish line is the same for everyone, then the time and distance advantage between the two runners is white privilege. And so white privilege, you know, we know, if you know anything about American history, you know that there were definitely, there is a huge time gap in allowances for black people to do certain things, to vote or to have access just to to public spaces, to go to college, to have the same kind of education as as white people. And so the, the that time represented uh, by the, the, uh, of equality or inequality is that gap that is called white privilege. And white privilege is not this, though. Let me, let me say this. White privilege, it doesn't mean that the black person can't catch up, right? But it does, in this relay race, right? But it does mean that the black runner does have to work harder, right, to fill that gap, to catch up. It also doesn't mean that the white runner or the white person was born with a silver spoon in their mouth and they get everything they want. No, they still have to run. It's a race, right? And so white privilege is, is just that. It's that advantage. It's that gap. A couple of statistics. The, the gap affects many things. One of the things it affects is education. In 2012, the U.S. Department of Education reported that 6% of white students attended a high-poverty school, whereas 40% of black students attended a high-poverty school. This gap also affects employment. In 2017, the Bureau of Labor Statistics found that the unemployment rate for blacks was twice as much as whites, 8.1% versus 4.3%. And I could keep reading statistics, but... You know, we, we know it affects, you know, where you live. It can affect uh, your income. It can affect your access to good health care. You can ask uh, Alyssa Alvarez. It, it sometimes affects where you're allowed to go, right? Public spaces still, even today. Ask her about what happened at the pool. Crazy talk. And so that's white privilege, right? Male privilege in a nutshell. So just some statistics again sharing. In the 1950s, only 30% of women worked compared to 70% of men, but times men, but times have changed, right? And so that percentage is kind of evening out and more women are working. Uh, and, and so it's uh, right now 57% of women work, 69% of men work. And even though these numbers are flattening, there's still a disparity in how much each are paid, right? Still, in 2018, there's a 20% difference in pay across the board. Women make 80% cents for every dollar men make. And of course, we know, you know, men are more likely to be in leadership. They're more likely to get the promotion. They're more likely uh, uh, to, to be CEOs and presidents. Uh, that's male privilege. And so that brings us to American privilege. And if you are not a statistics person, I got you. I'm done reading statistics now. Um, I'll give you just an anecdote that will help you understand, that helps, helped me understand American privilege. So if, uh, if you've been around, you know that uh, the City Life Church just sent a team to the Dominican Republic a few weeks ago. And we sponsor a village uh, called La Guazara there. It's a super small village. And um, every year we get to go and partner with Food for the Hungry to be able to build latrines and, and build relationship with the people there to do programs like Vacation Bible School. And this year we did a team talk and we, did, uh, we talked to the parents about domestic violence. It was awesome. Right, and I got to be on that team this year. It was an incredible experience, and this is just a shameless plug. If you get the opportunity, 
you should go because it's totally worth it to see the faces and hear the names and be in the actual homes that our money supports when we, when we give at City Life Church. But, so I got to go to the Dominican Republic and when I got there, I immediately realized and was reminded of my privilege, right? So one of the things, I have some pictures to show. One of the things that uh, I realized is that, man, I am privileged when it comes to where I get to do hygiene, okay? This was our bathroom, uh, and you can't really tell in the picture, thank goodness, but, uh, but yeah, you can't flush it. You can't flush toilet paper down, so you just can imagine. That's why that trash can next to it is so full. You can't flush toilet paper in the Dominican Republic, right? And actually, where we were, you can't flush at all. We had to go outside, get a bucket, and then just kind of pray, Jesus, let it all go down, right? <laughs> I have some stories about that that I won't share tonight, but... So I realized every day when I went to go to the bathroom, man, I am privileged in America, right? When I went to go take a shower, there are no showers. And people failed to tell me this before I went there. Uh, They kept calling them showers, but they're not real showers. They're just these aluminum stalls. And you see that big barrel, there we go, and we dip water. And then you just splash it on yourself. Uh, it's freezing cold, and water is, is scarce there in the village, and so it's like use as little water as possible, right? And so rather than, you know, the normal, I don't know, 15-minute shower, nice and warm, we got to pour a bucket of water on ourselves maybe like every other day, right? I'm privileged as an American. I have another picture Uh, Something that I loved about my trip is that I got to actually interact with the people and talk to the people of the village, some of the men of the village. And I realized in talking to them that many of them uh, aren't literate. Many of them can't read and they might have gone to school for elementary school or some for middle school or some for high school, but most not to college, right? And probably, this is a statistic I'm making up, I don't know if it's accurate, but I would say probably 90% of the men that live in that village have one job opportunity, and it is to farm in the village, right? It's just what their dad did, what their granddad did, and, and that's what they do. So it's not, you know, grow, you know, being a kid and thinking, man, I want to be an astronaut, and the world is not open, right, to them. We've got privilege to be able to think about what job do I want to have, You can go to the next slide. We got to meet in one of our house visits this amazing woman um, who shared with us that the day after we were actually visiting with her, she was leaving to go to the Capitol, which is six hours away. And she was explaining to us that the reason why she has to go is because she has two kids. One of them lives in the village. One of them lives elsewhere. And that one, um, his father doesn't, you know, isn't doing what he needs to do for his son. And in the Dominican Republic, there isn't child support, right? And so she has to provide for her son. In La Guazra, there aren't employment opportunities for women. And so she was explaining to us that in order to make ends meet for my children, I have to leave La Guazra go six hours away to work in the village, and I may get to see my my son once a week. American privilege, right? I grew up, I didn't grow up in in the best, you know, circumstances. I I lived in a single-parent home, and my mom worked so hard uh, to make sure that we had all the things that we needed. But even in that situation, I was able to see my mom every day, right? She didn't have to go six hours just to find work, privilege. And so it was in this context that I opened my Bible up and during a mo- uh, morning devotions, and I opened to Philemon, 
And, and I read this verse and all of a sudden, I just, I was consumed with conviction because never before had I read the book of Philemon and was able to identify with Philemon. If you don't know anything about this book, Philemon, he, he, the, the book was um, really a letter written to a man named Philemon who was a, um, a slave master. And the letter, super short letter written to him was Paul asking him, hey, will you receive this slave Onesimus back into your home? And most uh, Scholars think that Onesimus, his slave, was, uh, had wronged him, had stolen something from him, and, and on top of that, escaped, right, ran away, which was breaking the law. And so Paul was sending him back to Philemon and asking, begging, pleading Philemon, will you not only forgive him, but will you free him? And not only will you free him, but will you call him brother? Will you see him as your equal? In the first century, you know, in, in the Roman Empire, it, you could go from being a slave to a freed man, but it wasn't a thing to go from being a freed man to your slave master's brother, their equal, someone who was close and intimate with them. And so Philemon, or Paul was asking Philemon to do something incredible. And I've always, you know, felt that that was interesting and that was cool, but I never, I never could relate to Philemon because of our you know, country's heritage and our history with slavery, I've always just identified with Onesimus, right? The slave and, and thought, wondered, you know, about his perspective and things like that. What's gonna happen when he comes? What if Philemon doesn't forgive him and all of that? But, but this time, sitting in the Dominican Republic, overlooking this city, realizing my privilege, I realized, man, I'm Philemon. Man, I'm privileged and if that's me, this is what God, this is what, what God is asking me to do. To put into action the generosity that comes from your faith as you understand and experience all the good things you have in Christ. What I realized that morning when I was doing my devotions is that I'm privileged, but not just because of my wealth, not just because of my nationality, but because of my faith, because of the grace of God extended to me. So I wanna, um, I wanna have you guys turn to Romans chapter 12. If you've got a physical Bible, you can put one finger in Romans 12 and one finger in Philemon because we're gonna kind of go back and forth. If you're using your phone, you can make a friend with the person next to you. One of you could be open to Philemon, the other could be open to Romans 12, but we're gonna kind of flip-flop between these two passages of scripture because I want us to see that what Paul asks of Philemon is what he also asks of us, the church. These same concepts of generosity and grace, these are concepts that uh, he wasn't just talking to one person. It's uh, concepts that he challenges us with as the church. And so in Romans chapter 12, verse 13, we're gonna kind of overlay this passage, oh, sorry, verse three, Romans chapter 12, verse three, we're gonna overlay this passage on top of Philemon, verse six, and it says, because of the privilege and authority God has given me. Paul writes to the church in Rome, because of the privilege and authority God has given to me. If you have any translation other than the NLT, you'll notice that your translation does not say privilege. Your translation will say grace. And why does it say grace? Because the word that's translated as privilege is this Greek word charis, which means grace. It's the same word in Ephesians 2.8 that, that 
says this, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. Our grace, church, is a privilege. It's not something that we merited. It's not something that we earned. It's not something that we worked hard for. Our grace is a privilege. It's not merited. It's inherited. But here's the problem with privilege. People who have privilege tend to reap the benefits, enjoy the benefits, but forget that they haven't earned them. It's why maybe when I was talking in the beginning and I, I mentioned white privilege, there were chuckle or male privilege and American privilege, there was chuckles and there was probably, maybe you felt uncomfortable, maybe uh, you felt offended. And the reason is because we live in a culture and in a society, it's a pull yourself up by your bootstrap society, right? In our culture, in American culture, we like to believe that everything we have, we've earned, right? Everything we've had, we've worked for. We like to believe the story that if you dream it, if you, if you work hard enough for it, you can get it. We don't like to think that the things that are outside of our control, that have nothing to do with our character or our, our, our talents or our abilities, our race and our gender and our nationality, we don't like to think that any of those things play a role in our success. Just as uncomfortable as maybe those statements made you feel about privilege, it was just as uncomfortable for the first century uh, Jewish Christian to talk about grace. In the first century, religious Jews were raised to believe that it was by their works. It was by their obedient compliance to Jewish law. It was by their knowledge of scripture that they would be saved. And so that's why Jesus was always arguing with Pharisees and with Sadducees and with rich young rulers and with lawyers because they were seeing Jesus interact with homeless people and sinners and, and people who, who were sick and, and he was affording them the privileges that they thought you had to work for, right? I worked for this, right? And, and here Jesus is inviting people into the kingdom of God? What, right? They were offended. It was difficult. It was a, a sensitive topic to talk about grace because grace is privilege. And so this is why Paul had to say in Romans 12, 3, I give each of you this warning. Don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us. Paul was trying to communicate to these culturally Jewish Christians in the first century that they no longer could claim their works, their obedience to the law, their, their um, uh, knowledge of the law. They, they couldn't claim salvation because of all the things that they've done. He's saying, hey, quit measuring yourself by yourself. Quit measuring yourself by your works. But what's cool and what's interesting is that at the same time, Paul seems to almost kind of cut them down and he's humbling them. He's saying, hey, don't measure yourself by yourself. He encourages them, actually. He elevates them. He honors them because he says this, hey, instead of measuring yourself by yourself, by your works, you know what you can measure yourself by now? By your faith. Measure yourself by the faith God has given us. What is faith? Faith is the vehicle by which we've received the grace of God. 
Paul is saying, hey, if you want to measure yourself, if you want to boast about anything, don't boast about how good you are. Boast about how great God's grace is in your life. If you want to boast about anything, if you want to measure yourself against anything, measure yourself against your privileged, your, your, your unearned, inherited privilege called grace. So when Paul writes to the Romans, he's, he wasn't writing them to tell them to give up their privilege. He was writing to remind them where their privilege came from and what that privilege could afford them. Everybody say good things. Philemon verse 6, it says, And I am praying that you will put into action the generosity that comes from your faith as you understand and experience all the good things we have in Christ. Do you know that you have good things in Christ? Do you know that? Do you know that you are privileged, that you are favored by God? See, sometimes when we talk about grace, we, we like to think about grace as synonymous with forgiveness, right? You've heard people probably explain grace is getting something you don't deserve. And we always fill in the blank that something means forgiveness. And so I don't deserve forgiveness. And so grace equals forgiveness. That's true. But grace is not just forgiveness, there are good things that God wants to lavish upon your life because of that forgiveness. It feels almost heretical to talk about because if you are a Christian and you've received the, the, the salvation that only flows from Jesus' blood, right, you, you understand what a big deal that is to be forgiven. You understand your own depravity. You understand your sinfulness. How can I ask or expect anything more than that? And it's true. It's such a, a, a great debt that God has paid through the death of Jesus Christ for us to get that forgiveness. But there is even more. Romans chapter 12, going back there, if you've got your finger there, if you've got your buddy next to you. Romans chapter 12 in verse six. In his grace, same word that was translated earlier as privilege. In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. Do you know that God's grace affords you not just forgiveness, but abilities, but gifts, but, but uh, uh, talents? And so Romans 12, it continues and it tells us about all of the different practical and supernatural talents you can have, prophesying, serving, teaching, encouragement, uh, generosity. 1 Corinthians 12 is another place that's often defined as spiritual gifts, but really they're gifts of grace. They're outpourings of grace. What uh, overflows from grace is that we get to have these special abilities. Let's talk about Chris House for a second. He's laughing. It ain't fair. Right, what T.D. Jakes always says, favor ain't fair, right? It ain't fair that Chris House can sing the way that Chris House sings. Is anybody else bitter every time you hear this? You're like pray worshiping and you got one eye open just like, Lord, let him choke or something, you know? Maybe that's just me, I don't know. But, but right, like Chris House has this incredible uh, gift of singing, and what's cool, I love that he shared his, his testimony last week because what he said was, yeah, he always had this musical ability, but it was when he went into the presence of God, come on, that the Holy Spirit poured into him. He amplified this ability in his life. Guess what? Favor ain't fair. And there are gifts and abilities that some of us have only because of the grace of God at work in our life. Let's talk about Chrissy Facile. 
I spent a whole bunch of time, yeah, you can give it up. I spent, spent a whole bunch of time with Chrissy uh, in the Dominican Republic. And what we learned is, man, Chrissy has an, a gift of encouragement, right? And it's just not fair. <laughs> we would go to people's houses and, you know, these, are, these houses are you know, so different compared to the houses that we have at home and not all the furnishings and, you know, there's gaps and there's things like that. But Chrissy in every home had so many things, encouraging things to say. Oh, I love the, your tree. Or I love how the, the fence just curves around so creatively. And she's amazing, right? She has this gift of encouragement that just overflows out of her. Shani and Nathaniel Miller, man, the boldness that they have, right? The, the faith that they have, the, the, the evangelism, the gift of evangelism that they have is just not fair, Right? They're gifts that overflow from the grace of God. Say good things. I could talk about every one of you in here because there are good things that God has put in you, gifts. Good things also refers to virtues. At City Life, we talk about the 24 virtues, and these are uh, uh, characteristics of Jesus that we as Christians have access to, not because of any effort of our own, but because of relationship with him, right? And, and so we pull these virtues from different lists of virtues out of the Bible. One of them is Galatians chapter 5 that says it's the fruit of the Spirit, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. If you've been a Christian for any amount of time, you know that you begin to discover certain virtues in yourself that weren't there before, right? Whoo, six months ago, I would have cussed that lady out, right? But the virtue of, of, of self, uh, what is it? Self-control. <laughs> I was going to say self-confidence. That's the wrong thing. Self-control, right? That, that I don't deserve, I didn't earn, but the grace of God, man, it, it sits on my life and, and affords me virtues that I didn't deserve, that I wasn't born with, but because of the grace of God, I have access to. Not only your abilities, not only your virtues, but your practical provision. Matthew 6, 31 through 33 says, so don't worry about these thing, things saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, people who don't have the grace of God sitting on their lives. But your heavenly father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. That's what uh, Cam was talking about earlier tonight, right? Man, he, he gives us good things, gives us abilities, gives us virtues, even provides practically in our life. And so when, when Paul is writing this letter to Philemon, his prayer for Philemon is that he would understand and experience all the good things that is afforded to him because of the grace of God. But he also reminds him that these privileges are best understood and experienced through one very specific filter, and that filter is generosity. So let's read it again, Philemon verse 6. And I am praying that you will put into action the generosity that comes from your faith as you understand and experience, I hear those snaps, all the good things we have in Christ. Again, if you have any translation other than the New Living Translation, your Bible will not read generosity. If you've got the NIV, NIV, it might say, I pray that your partnership with us. If you've got ESV, it says, I pray that your sharing of your faith. Uh, NASB, I pray that the fellowship of your faith. And so why is it that in the NLT, only translation, right, it, it says generosity. Is that a bad translation? Is that the wrong word? That, that seems so different than fellowship, right? 
is because this word generosity is the Greek word koinonia, most often translated, you know, throughout scripture as fellowship. And I want to give us an example in context so we understand how it is that this one word, fellowship, could also be generosity and partnership and participation and, and sharing. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. Acts chapter 2 says, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. Say fellowship. That's the word koinonia. And to sharing in meals and to prayer. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill, which also is that word grace, the favor of God, sitting on their life of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their koinonia, to their fellowship, those who were being saved. Now can you understand how it is that fellowship is not just fellowship, it's also generosity, it's sharing, it's, it's all of those things. I think the, the translation generosity is perfect for this verse in Philemon because it fits the context. Because those translators knew that in order for Philemon this wealthy slave owner who, who must have had a big house because he, had a, a, he hosted a church in his home, was a leader in, in, in that church. So he was a person of affluence. He was a person of influence, right? He was a Roman citizen, right? The, the, the translator of the New Living Translation recognized that, man, in order for Philemon to enter into koinonia, into fellowship, into thinking that other brothers and sisters are equal to him, especially Onesimus, who was his slave, and not only his slave, but a slave that wronged him, in order for Philemon, to see Onesimus as someone who was his brother, it would take a great amount of generosity for Philemon to enter into that relationship of equality with him. One of the commentaries said Philemon was in an awkward position. They read these letters out loud publicly in churches, right? He must placate Paul, keep his other slaves submissive, maintain his family estate, offer the most magnanimous example of his comrades, uh, in faith and retain the trust of his fellow slave owners in the neighborhood all at once. It cannot be done. Something must be sacrificed. The reason why generosity is an appropriate translation for the word koinonia in this context is because koinonia costs. Koinonia costs. If you're taking notes, you can write that down. See, we cheapen the word koinonia, fellowship, by thinking that fellowship is just hanging out, right? We, you heard on the announcements about um, uh, hashtag clad in a couple of weeks, right? And often we think about those events as fellowship. Well, I get to go with my brothers and sisters and, and eat some popcorn and have some dinner and watch a movie. If you go to hashtag clad and you just hang out, that's not fellowship. That is a free dinner and a movie, right? But this is what koinonia looks like in the context of context of hashtag clad. It means stepping out of your comfort zone and meeting somebody new, maybe if you're introverted, maybe if you're shy. Why? Because koinonia costs. It's asking somebody at hashtag clad when you'd rather be watching the movie or hanging out with people, uh, other people, or not thinking about anything. It's asking them, hey, how are you doing when you really don't want to know, right? Because koinonia costs. It's inviting a neighbor or a coworker, or a complete stranger to hashtag clad, inviting them because koinonia costs, right? 
You gotta get over the awkwardness or the fear of rejection. It's bringing food. This one's for you, uh, college young professionals. It's bringing food to the, fo- the potluck if maybe you never have before, right? <laughs> Koinonia costs, right? And so, so fell- it, they were really quiet about that. They're mad. And so koinonia costs, right? You get what I'm saying. If you just go and hang out with other Christians, that's not koinonia. That's not fellowship. Koinonia costs. It evokes generosity, expects generosity out of us. And this is why privilege is not a bad word. Because if koinonia costs, I want to have the, ne- the means necessary to pay that bill, right? If you don't have the boldness to invite your neighbor or talk, walk across the room and talk to that perfect stranger at hashtag clad, guess what? You are privileged. God will give you the boldness. God will give you the patience to have that conversation, right? We are favored. There are good things we have access to. We're privileged, right? And so, yeah, koinonia costs, sharing costs, but God gives us the means to be able to do those things. Privilege itself isn't a problem. It's a neutral word because it's not merited. We already talked about it. It's inherited. And so it doesn't have anything to do with your character, good or bad. Don't be offended. You know, that's why we don't have to be offended when someone says you have this kind of privilege or that kind of privilege. You did nothing to get it, right? But privilege becomes a problem when the recipient of it sees it as something that must be exclusively owned when he sees it as a scarce commodity rather than an opportunity for infinite camaraderie. Privilege becomes a problem when we see it as a scarce commodity, as something to be had and held onto rather than an opportunity for infinite camaraderie. Here's what I mean, Romans chapter 12, verse three. I'm gonna go quicker. Because of the privilege and authority God has given me, we read that, uh, I give you this warning, Paul says. Uh, to, to don't think of yourself better than others. In verse four, just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. The good things that God has given us, he's given them to us so that we will share them with each other. I like how my good friend, Nina Bruton, who is in the house tonight, shout out to, to ball hair queen, She said it like this on Facebook, being a Christian doesn't make you better than anyone, but it should make you better for everyone, right? To be favored, to have the privilege of of God resting on your life, it means that everywhere you go, you should be ready to share. You should be ready to be generous because of the good things that are overflowing out of your life. Just because you've got the privilege of grace sitting on your life doesn't mean that you get to now hoard that inside of yourself. It means that you get to to share those good things, to pour them out on the people in your life. As Christians, we're not only called to be recipients of God's grace, but participants in it. And so this is how Christian privilege must differentiate itself from other kinds of privilege. Because, like Paul writes to Philemon, in order for it to be fully realized, in order for you to fully understand and experience all the good things God has for you, it can't be monopolized. It's got to be shared. In order for us to experience the fullness of all the good things God has for us, we've got to share those gifts, those virtues, the practical provisions he's given us, we've got to share it. All right, everyone say, put into action. Put into action. Philemon, verse six. 
You'll have this thing memorized by the end of the night, I hope and pray. It says, and I am praying that you will put into action the generosity that comes from your faith as you understand and experience all the good things we have in Christ. You know, one of the things that frustrates me about this letter to Philemon is that Paul is really nice to him. <laughs> if you read it, like he, he's like sucking up to Philemon and talking about how amazing he is. And I'm just like, Paul, I want you to cuss him out, right? Like the way I feel about slavery, Paul, right? Like I want you to go in on Philemon, right? To call him out. Well, like you're a leader in the church, right? I want you to say all the things I wish I could say on Facebook, right? That's what I want Paul to do, but he doesn't do that. Instead, he, he acknowledges the good character that Philemon has. He says in verse five, I keep hearing about your love for God's people. Verse seven, your love has given me so much joy and comfort. It's refreshed the hearts of God's people. He talks about his love. In verse six, he talks about his generosity. It's a generosity that he doesn't have to go someplace and find. It says the generosity you have by your faith. You've got this generosity. You are a generous person. Philemon's generosity is assumed. It's something he already has. Why Paul is writing to Philemon is not to tell him, hey, be a better person. What he's saying is, hey, these things that you believe, this character that you are, the generosity that you have just sitting inside of you, I want you to activate that. I want you to put it into action. It's like when you go to Target, right, and you forgot, you know, about your friend's birthday, and so you got to go to the gift card section, and you just grab a random gift card, right, $25 uh, Visa card. In that moment, in Target, that $25 Visa gift card, it has the potential, it has the capacity, it has the, all the attention, intentions of being $25, but until you take that thing and walk it to the cashier and hand it to them, and they do whatever magical thing that they do with their scanner on the other side, until the card is activated, it's not worth nothing but the plastic that it is, right? It might be valued at $25, but, but it isn't worth that unless it's activated. It can't be used for that unless it's activated. Church, we have all of these gifts inside of us. We have this generosity in us. We've got this privilege sitting on us. We are pregnant with privilege spiritual privilege, right? Favor of God. But unless we put that favor into action, it's worthless. And that's why Paul says to Philemon, yeah, if you want to experience all the good things, I want you, I want you to understand and experience, but you know what you got to do? You got to put into action that generosity that you have just sitting up in you, right? Martin Luther King Jr. in the letter from Birmingham, Birmingham jail wrote this. <clears throat> I have almost reached the regrettable conclusion that the Negro's greatest stumbling block in the stride toward freedom is not the white citizen's counselor or the Ku Klux Klan, but the white moderate who is more devoted to order than to justice who prefers a negative peace, which is the absence of tension, which doesn't cost, to a positive peace, which is the presence of justice. He continues to say, we will have to repent in this generation, not merely for the vitriolic words and actions of the bad people, but for the appalling silence of the good people. 
we must come to see that the human progress never rolls in on wheels of inevitability. It comes through the tireless efforts and persistent work of men willing to be co-workers with God. From hindsight, we can look at these words of MLK and think and point to those people and say, man, all those privileged people who could have leveraged that privilege, who could have used their power, who could have used their finances, man, if only they used their privilege rather than just sitting on it, rather than just holding it back. And there were many who did. There were many privileged white pastors, activists who did use their privilege to advance the cause of Martin Luther King Jr. and other civil rights activists, right? But there was a moderate majority that had all the same privilege, but just kept it, just sat on it in silence. And so today, we can look back at those people and point to those people and say, man, if only they acted on that privilege. But when it comes to your life and when it comes to right now, you don't have the benefit of hindsight. You don't know what the good things that you have stored up inside of you, you don't know the difference that that could make in the life of your brother or sister if only you activated it, right? You don't have that, that benefit of hindsight. Right now, all we can do is to activate the generosity that God has given us. So my question tonight for you is not, are you privileged? If you are a Christian, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are privileged. You have the favor of God resting on your life. I'm not asking if you are privileged. I'm asking you, how are you using it? How are you using your privilege? I just have two opportunities to extend to you. Philemon had two opportunities, same opportunities we have to put his generosity into action within his own church. Seems like that was something he was doing since there was a whole church coming out from his house. And so he was using his, his finances in some senses, right? He was using his gifts and abilities to, to uh, pour into his church. And so whoever you are in here tonight, whether you go to City Life Church or whatever church you go to, I ask you to acknowledge that opportunity, opportunity that you have in front of you. What abilities, what virtues, what practical provision do you have? What good things do you have that will satisfy the need of the brother or sister next to you or behind you, right, in your own church? The other opportunity that Philemon had was to put his generosity into action, not only within his church, but outside of it. To invite this outsider Onesimus, who had never been a participant of Koinonia before, to invite him in. And so I ask you, what opportunities do you have when you look at your workplace or you look at the people that you have relationship with who don't have the same privilege that you have of knowing that they're gonna go to heaven when they die, who don't have the same privilege of knowing that, that the grace of God covers their sin. The, the beautiful thing about the privilege of God's grace, it is inherited, but guess what? We all get adopted in. We can all get adopted in. And so he, Jesus invites us in to all that privilege. What are we doing? What can I do to extend an invitation out to people who don't have that same advantage? I wanna invite you to stand 
as we go back into worship tonight. And as we do, I want to challenge you to pray for the activation of generosity in your heart and in your life. God, I pray, Lord, that you would activate us. Lord, that that we wouldn't just be stirred with this feeling of generosity inside of us. God, I thank you for that picture that Cam gave us tonight of the widow who didn't have much, even for the ones in this room who feel like they don't have much. Lord, in this moment, would you put your finger on the gifts and the virtues and and the things that they have that, that, that someone else in this church needs, that someone else in their workplace needs. Lord God, would you activate us tonight? Cause us to go out of this place, not only stirred and feeling generous, but acting on that generosity.